I played with Donald Trump before he was the president, before any of that ever happened, fifth or sixth hole. And he's got it like 30 feet from the hole or something. And he rolls it up there about five feet away, walks up there and just, that's good, picks it up. And I looked at him, I said, I've never seen you miss one of those because I've never seen him putt one of those. And uh, I don't think he got it. Hey, y'all, I'm Tommy Tomlinson. And from WFAE in Charlotte, this is Southbound. Conversations with people from all walks of life about how the South shapes who they are and what they do. The world of professional golf has turned upside down in the last year or so. A bunch of top golfers have bolted for a new tour sponsored by the Saudi government. There are harsh words and lawsuits, and I was looking for someone to help me navigate what it all means. So I checked in with Ron Green Jr., who knows more about golf than just about anybody. Ron recently received a Lifetime Achievement Award for his journalism from the PGA of America. He was a longtime sports writer for the Charlotte Observer and currently writes for the Global Golf Post. He has covered the Masters, the biggest event in golf, 41 times. In this episode, Ron talks about everything from outdriving Tiger Woods to golfing villains to his ideal order from the concession stand at Augusta National. He's got some stories. Here's our conversation. Ron Green Jr., I watched the video uh, where you got uh, this PGA Lifetime Achievement Award, and the guy who kind of came on to congratulate you was Eric Church, the country singer. Um, If I made a list of people who might be congratulating somebody for a golf award, I would have gotten a long way down before I got into Eric Church. How did that come about? Well, the story begins, oh, six or seven years ago, I guess. I was uh, covering the Masters and had access to a Sunday ticket that we were not going to use. Our my mutual my friend Taylor Zarzer has gotten to know Eric. Really, I mean they're best buddies. I mean, I never get on invited on the private jet. Let's go play golf trips. But uh, he said Eric Church wants to come and his dad. He said I can find one ticket. I need another one. I said by chance I got one. So Eric Church played a concert somewhere like Fort Lauderdale or something on Saturday night. Got in his tour bus with his dad. The guy drove him all the way to Augusta, and he pulls in like at 9.30 on Sunday morning, his tour bus into the neighborhood where the house was. And so got to know Eric, you know, comes in. Hey, I'm Eric. Nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so through the years, mostly through Taylor, uh, gotten to know Eric some. Uh, saw him uh, the day Phil Mickelson won the PGA Championship at Augusta. I mean, at Kiowa Island. Eric was down there and watched the first few holes with him and then uh, watched the last two holes with him, was out there when this whole, if you remember, the the crowd crashed through and it is a free-for-all and Phil even had trouble getting the 18th green. And we're all out there and it was Taylor, me, Eric, and Wesley Walls. And this crowd starts just stampeding. And I'm not the brightest man in the world, but I'm like, how do I get through this? And I said, well, there's Wesley Walls, who was an all-pro tight end. I'm following him. Do you have a memorable round or two that you played with somebody who's pretty well known? I mean, when you think about stuff like that. Yes. I, uh, I played with Tiger Woods. Um, not a whole lot, but when he opened his first course design, uh, in, uh, near Cabo and Diamante in Mexico, 
they invited some of us to come down and sort of trumpet the whole Tiger thing. Tiger gave me his Twitter account. I took over and Tiger gives, hey, my buddy Ron Green's going to be tweeting for me today while I open this, which really meant I was walking with this PR guy taking pictures of Tiger going, is this okay? Is this okay? <laughs> texting that Tiger on a third hole, Tiger with the mariachi band. But as part of it, we got to play a few holes with him and uh, really only three. It was Bob Herrig from who's now at Sports Illustrated, Steve DeMeglio, USA Today, and I played with him. And Joe Passoff, another golfer. So it was fun. I mean, you know, as much as you've been around him, and suddenly you're standing on the tee and he's sort of looking at you and you're like, okay. Uh, I had him one down. <laughs> I, I parted the first hole from the bunker and he made a bogey. Should have stopped right there. We'll leave it. And the last hole we're playing is a par four and I had a really good tee shot. And it was way past Tiger's. And uh, we go walking down there and Tiger's caddy keeps walking to my ball. And I go, no, that's yours back there. And uh, so I tell Tiger, I said, I just can't wait to get home and tell the story about your caddy going to my ball and telling you have to go back there. I said, I know you hit a three wood and I hit a driver. He goes, no, I had a five wood. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but I'm not going to tell that part. I'll say it was drivers. But so that was cool. And then uh, I played with Donald Trump before he was the president, before any of that ever happened. Uh, he had bought the golf course at uh, Trump National Lake Norman or Charlotte. Now it was called The Point. They called and said, hey, would you like to come up and play with Donald Trump and Greg Norman, who built the golf course? Never realizing sort of the interconnection that was coming. Uh, and I had known Greg through the years just from covering him, writing about him. And uh, so it was Jaime Diaz, who's now at the Golf Channel, one of the great golf writers of all time, and me, and Trump and... Uh, Greg Norman. And they're like, you know, it's just a private thing. We're just opening and go around. Well, it was private, except for those several hundred people walking around with this. But I'll tell you what's intimidating is, and having just gotten a lesson because I was not playing well, but when I stood over my tee shot there and I could see out from under my visor, I could see two white shoes across from me, close enough, standing there. And it's Greg Norman, sort of arms crossed five feet away watching me hit this tee shot. You know, Trump's off being Trump. But news actually came out of that day because Jim Dodson, the author, was there, and he was playing with Eric Trump behind us, and we were going to mix it up a little bit after nine holes, but a thunderstorm got us. He's asking Eric that day, says, now how, given the economic environment, how are you guys buying all these golf courses? I mean, you know, we're Eric Trump, but we're, we do it all through Russian banks. It's all run through there. And it ends up in Jim's book and uh, about golf. And I think the journal, Wall Street Journal or somebody gets it and follows up on it. It was interesting because we got rained out. I was literally going to New York the next day to cover the, last, the weekend round at a FedEx Cup playoff event at uh, Liberty National, which sits right there on the water right across from the Statue of Liberty. Anyway, so Trump sits there and he's doing, he's, he's the good Donald. You know what I mean? He, he is pure salesman, chatty, blah, 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 telling a story about some lady out on the driving range, always warming up, wanting to come rub his hair and touch it and see if it's real. He says, I don't get it. You know, go back and look at my high school pictures. This is my hair. And anyway, he was good. And as we're getting ready to leave, he goes, anybody, and I would love to be able to ask the question like, anybody need a ride to New York tonight? <laughs> well, I said, and I'd say, it's funny, I'm going up there to Liberty National morning. He goes, well, just hop on a plane with us, come on up. Well, I'm 40 miles from my house. I'm in shorts, sweaty, 
no computer, nothing. I'm like, I can't. I probably should have. Given what I've heard about his uh, golf exploits uh, over the years, did the shots that he actually took on the course match the scorecard in any way? Well, it was a loose, it was sort of, we're just out playing pretty loosely. I mean, he's a good player. He can play. So, you know, we're not really keeping score. We're hitting shots, going around, and uh, fifth or sixth hole. And he's got it like 30 feet from the hole or something, and he rolls it up there about five feet away. Walks up there and just, that's good, picks it up. And I looked at him, I said, I've never seen you miss one of those. Because I've never seen him putt one of those. <laughs> and uh, I don't think he got it. He can get his way around the golf course. Now, I don't know how he just won a senior club championship when he was not even in town for the first round, but we'll let that go. I, I guess when you own the course, you can uh, make those kind of rules. You mentioned Phil Mickelson earlier on, and I wanted to talk about the the story that I guess has been the big story in the golf uh, world over the last year or so, which is this live tour that's sort of started separately from what from the PGA, which is the main American golf tour. For folks who aren't kind of caught up on this story, could you explain fairly quickly sort of what has happened there and, and, and the divisions that are caused because of it? Well, you know, the two big tours, the PGA tour is sort of what you would know as professional golf. Uh, and then the European tour, which is now known as the DP World Tour. That's the other one. Uh, well, for years, there's been this chatter, backroom gossip about this rival league being started, and they want to build it sort of off the Formula One model and build teams. And, uh, you know, we'll have, like you have a team Ferrari and a team Mercedes or whatever. Different guys, different groups tried to fund it. And finally, uh, the Saudis were involved in what was going to become, what was being called the Premier Golf League. That never happened. They decided, hey, we've got the money. We can go create this own thing. So they decide they're going to create this own golf league. There were, I think, six of us got invited to New York in the fall of 2021. And we flew up there and signed, you know, we'll tell you what's going on. You got to sign these NDAs and all this. It all, of course, got out. But um, Greg Norman and others, we meet and spend a day in New York, and they lay out this whole thing. We're going to spend all this money and pay all these players and get them to come play this rival league. We're, we want to do it in concert with the PGA Tour. Yet we're going to go pay all these players to so fast forward, it eventually happened. It nearly gets scuttled by Phil Mickelson's comments about Saudi and the people who are backing. It's funded by the Saudi Arabian government, by the public investment fund, the PIF, which is worth a supposed $600 billion, uh, which gives you a lot of, you know, spending cash if you need it. And they have it. So they went in and recruited players to come to live, which is Roman numerals for 54. There's a group performance, 54 is involved with 54 would be theoretically the perfect golf score. It'd be 18 birdies on the par 72 course, all this stuff. They got it done and they got started last year. They paid, depending on who you believe, I mean, rumors of $200 million to Phil Mickelson, $125 million to Dustin Johnson, all this money to come play these events. In, a, in addition to that, they then get to play these giant tournaments where if you win against 48 players, you win another $4 million a week and all this stuff. So it got going. I mean, it's, uh, but what the PGA Tour said, if you go to live, you can never come back. We, you know, golfers, pro golfers love to call themselves independent contractors. They get to pick and choose where they play. 
But the PGA Tour says, that's true, but you are a member of the PGA Tour. Every year you sign a agree- membership agreement to abide by our rules, which gives you three exemptions to go play other places. You have to play a minimum of 15 events. And basically the guys who went to live, like we want to live said, well, you can come play for us and you can play the PGA tour. They have no legal standing. Well, the tour said, yeah, we do. We get to make our own rules. And, uh, you know, you may be independent contractors, but you're also got health care, all these benefits. You've signed all these documents that would make you, you know, in a normal court would say, well, you're an employee too. So anyway, so the 48 guys have gone to live. Uh, some of them, 11 of them sued the PGA Tour. Eight of them have since taken their name off. Three of them are still suing the PGA Tour in a case that will go scheduled in January. And now they're all suspended for years, if not forever. Uh, so I think what we're going to see is a grudging coexistence right now. So beyond the legal stuff, I wanted to kind of get into the more, I don't know, moral, ethical part of it. So the Saudis... Obviously, there's this history in their government of being anti-gay, anti-women for a long time, and more specifically into the point, although I guess it's never been absolutely proven, it's pretty clear that the Saudi government murdered this journalist, Jamal Khashoggi, who from the Washington Post. The guys who signed up with the Saudis to play this tour, do you think they're ever going to pay some, like, moral price for this and as you've talked to them if you have talked to them about all this what do they say about it yeah early on especially some of the guys ian poulter lee westwood they were asked directly about it and just didn't even like i don't have to answer that question this is not about that i think the difference and there's been a lot of pushback to the pga tour wait a minute your big sponsors are fedex at&t all all these companies who have business interests in Saudi Arabia. I mean, that's, you know, there's no secret to that. You do, the tours had tournaments in China. It's got its own issues. I mean, heaven knows we've got our own issues in this country. So what is the difference? Why is everybody using live and Saudi Arabia is this, you know, really bad example? I think the difference is it's one thing to do business in a country like all these people do and live. I mean, PIF, PIF's invested in Disney and Boeing and Tesla and all these companies here, too. The difference is Live Golf is owned by the Public Investment Fund, which is at the top of the Public Investment Fund is MBS. Now, most of those guys, you know, they danced around. They talked about growing the game. They only have to play 14 events a year instead of 25 or 30. They get to spend more time with the family and all this stuff. I mean, all those things are true to a degree. They did it for the money. And to his credit, Harold Varner, who lives here in Charlotte, is one of the great guys you're ever going to meet. I mean, he was torn back and forth. They came to Harold, who won the Saudi Invitational last year before Liv got started. But he just said, I, you know, his dad worked at a, still works at a Chevy dealership in Gastonia. And he goes, it was a struggle for us. I never wanted my kids to have to worry about money. So he said, he was up for it. He goes, I did it for the money. I signed a three-year contract. I've got all this money. I never have to worry about it again. You know, I think Harold, and I think to a degree, Dustin Johnson, just because he's this own unique character, sort of got a pass with it. It's the guys who tried to pass it off as something else, I think, and didn't want to acknowledge the money. 
Phil Mickelson will never be seen the same. The great irony or whatever, or one of the things that's happened in this is for all the years, Phil's Arnie, he's Arnie, you know, Tiger's Tiger, he's cold, he's aloof, he's arrogant, doesn't want to help anybody, da, 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 da. And now Tiger's the one who looks like the great statesman speaking out, defending the tour, helping recreate the PGA Tour with Rory McIlroy through their meetings last summer. And now Phil is this guy who's just out there and it's just, uh, and you know, I, I, I wish it hadn't turned out that way for Phil because we know in Kiowa is one of the great things in golf and there's never been anybody quite like Phil, I don't think. But now he's just sort of, he's just, it, he's in a different place. When we come back, Ron Green Jr. talks about growing up the son of a sports writer and some of the joys of the sports writing life. I remember when I was going to college, starting sort of this, my dad wrote a column and says, you know, you'll never be a millionaire, but you'll get to good places millionaires never will. That and more ahead on Southbound. Before we get back to this episode, I wanted to ask for a little help with something. If you enjoy Southbound, please give us a good rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast provider you have that allows such things. The more reviews and better ratings we get, the better chance there is that other listeners can find us. But to be honest, I'd just as soon you tell people about Southbound through good old word of mouth. If you could recommend it to just one person you know, somebody you might think would enjoy interesting conversations about the South, I'd be deeply grateful. If you have any thoughts about the show, guests to recommend, or anything that you think might make Southbound better, you can email me at ttomlinson at wfae.org. Thanks so much for giving us a little bit of your time. And now, back to my conversation with Ron Green Jr. I do wonder one thing about, as you were talking about all this and rivalries and that sort of thing, is that one thing that I think Liv did was to take a bunch of the guys who were sort of I don't know if villains is the right word, but a bunch of the sort of characters, you know, Patrick Reed, who everybody seems to hate, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, who's sort of this odd duck, a couple of these other guys who are, you know, not universally beloved on tour or off. Um, And I think part of the issue, and maybe this is just me as, as a casual fan, is that I can't find somebody to hold on to on the current tour, either good or bad beyond Rory, for example, there's nobody like I'm falling in love with or nobody I'm rooting against. Well, I think Rory is sort of the alpha male. I just think he's magnetic in that way. And when you get to Augusta, you know, he's won three of the four majors. He's never won Augusta. Uh, That will be a giant storyline, as he well knows and his answers every year until he's going to win it or if he does. And especially if you watch the Netflix thing, um, the uh, the first episode I've seen the screeners, they, they build character stories. Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas have known each other since they were kids. I mean, there's pictures of them eating peanut butter sandwiches together. Those are two guys that are really easy. Jordan Spieth is great to like. He, I mean, he talks constantly through it, and he's fidgety, and he's all that. I, I think he's a big star. I think uh, you know Will Zalatoris is going to be one of those guys. I think they did take live. The word villain has been used. I mean, I like Brooks Kepka, but Kepka's he's a cranky, 
sort of guy. Uh, very matter of fact, very blunt, very macho. I'm going to give you that. And you see a little bit in the second Netflix episode when he's away from that. He's sort of like the way he tells you, if you're around me, you're going to see I'm fond, da, da, da. And you get some of that. But, you know, Kepka's the guy who when asked a year ago, what about Liv? He goes, I don't know. You know, it's out there, but I don't know who's going to go. But somebody will sell out and go. Well, Brooks Kepka turned out to be that guy. <laughs> uh, you know, you, in some ways you miss Patrick Reed because he cannot help but be controversial. He just does stuff that just, you know, you, I mean, even this past week in Dubai, he's in a kerfuffle with throwing a tee at Rory McIlroy. And then he hits a ball in a tree that comes down and claims to identify his ball in a tree. And yet the camera show his ball landed in a different tree. Uh, you know, <laughs> I want to ask one logistical question about covering golf. Cause I've always thought it was in some ways the hardest sport to cover. Cause in pretty much every other sport, you can see everything at the same time. The football field's right in front of you in golf. You can't possibly be everywhere. And every time I've ever been on a course, I felt like I was in the wrong place because, you know, somebody's you hear a roar from like half a mile away on another hole somewhere. So how much of you covering a tournament is, you know, kind of being in the press room and kind of watching it play out that way as opposed to being out on the course? Somebody once said, you know, they only play on one basketball court, but they play on 18 courts in a golf tournament. Right. Uh, and they're playing at different times and all that stuff. The guys playing in the morning and they play in the afternoon. It's, it's different. Like some weeks I will go out and I will go like Tuesday through Friday and I'll come back home because I'll get what I want to write for say our Monday magazine. And I, and it's not necessarily built on who wins that week. Now, bigger events I'm there for the, it does matter more. I like to go out and watch uh, as much as I can, but there are times, you know, on Thursdays and Fridays, if they play in a morning wave and an afternoon wave, from 1130 to one o'clock, the guys who are played in the morning, they're there for it. They're come sign their cards. If you're going to get them, that's when you get them. So you kind of have to come in and be around there for that. And then depending on what happens, if they're all, if the guys who are going to win are in the last group or something, you can go out and be with them. But, you know, like for the masters, for example, the last few years, I mean, that stuff is happening three or four groups and three or four places. And you want to be out there and, you know, you can, you're just like, it's, it's right there. But yeah, I mean, there's many times like, Oh man, I went to the wrong place. I went to the wrong place. I remember when Tiger won at Augusta the last time. And I had been out there watching a lot, but I'd been back in the media center toward the end. But like, okay, he's going to win. I'm going out to the 18th hole knowing I got no chance to see it. I said, I'm going to go out just to hear it. People in the Carolinas will know this, but maybe some of our listeners won't. Your dad, Ron Green Sr., was a longtime sports writer in Charlotte, uh, covered many of the same things that you've done. Your, your careers overlapped for many years. Did you ever want to be something else? You know, I, I tell a story now that for a time, a very short time, I thought I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon, do knee surgeries and all that. Well, one of my very good friends is an orthopedic surgeon here, lives on the seventh hole at Quail Hollow. He wanted to be a sports writer. <laughs> I said, and we've talked about it. I'm like, well, yeah, there's a lot of great things, but I've seen your wine collection and your house on the seventh hole at Quail Hollow and all that. So you did fine. You know, I didn't realize you had to study like all that science stuff. And, uh, I was not uh, 
uh, I did not have the acumen for the studies and the educational part of that. So uh, I don't know what else I would have been. I, I grew up listening to the stories of my dad. And obviously, he covered a lot of things. But golf was the thing he liked the best. And hearing those stories and being around it. I mean, still in football seasons, I, I miss going to college games. I miss being in Cameron Indoor Stadium or the Smith Center during basketball season. I can't really say I miss being in the infield media center at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I was there <laughs> more than enough. That was the fish out of water thing there. But so I, I sort of just came to it naturally, I think, you know, and you get around it and you hear the stories and and you get to be in a lot of cool places. You really, really do. You get to be go do things. I remember when I was going to college, starting sort of this, my dad wrote a column and says, you know, you'll never be a millionaire, but you'll get to go places millionaires never will. I know a lot of parents uh, try to warn kids off going into the family business or however you might say it. Did your did your dad ever give you any advice along those lines? Never tried to warn me off. I think because he saw me around people, uh, you know, and, and I sort of knew what I was getting into. And sure, it helped. People said, well, look, he's he gets all these advantages because his dad can help him do that. Yes, I'm not naive enough to think that it didn't help me in times uh, to get introductions or foot a foot in a door somewhere here or there. But when it came time at a game or whatever to sit down in front of the typewriter or the computer or whatever, you still got to do it. You still got to deliver it. He asked me a lot of times, what's it like out there? I said, well, you, you just wouldn't like it. You know, it's just uh, access has changed. You know, it's, it's so hard to get people now to just, you can't, I mean, if they're of any real consequence, you know, you got to go through managers, you got to go through tour officials, you got to, you don't just, I mean, my dad used to talk about going up to Duke and Carolina, all these things and wandering in, just knocking on the coach's door and Hey, you got a few minutes, come on in. Now there's about 12 doors you got to knock on before you get to that one. Now you got to have a thumbprint to get in to see coach, get into coach K's building. And, uh, you know, and, and I understand some of that, but, you know, it, so it's gotten a little harder in that way. I mean, my dad can tell you stories of having drinks with Arnie the night before he won his first masters and having breakfast with him the next morning. I said, we didn't get that with tiger. <laughs> this year's masters. How many will that be for you? This will be number 42. When you get 40, you get, you become what they call, you get, uh, the master's major achievement award. They recognize people who cover 40 masters. And in this Taj Mahal of a media center down there that is just, it could be a museum. It's so cool. Uh, they have a big wall there and they put your name up there on this list. And uh, they, they do all sorts of cool things where you get your own parking place in the media center lot, which is mine. Purely last year, I got it for the first time just because of alphabetical order and who was not there. Mine was the first one right beside the security center. So everybody who walked in, they would see R. Green Jr. right there. And they go, nice parking spot, nice parking spot. <laughs> uh, and it is a nice parking spot. I was going to ask if, if there's, you know, obviously you're doing it as a job, and you've been there a lot of times, and a lot of it I'm sure is routine to you at this point. Does it still feel special? It, it does. I still walk out there, and you get, uh, you walk out, and you get in that hill behind the clubhouse, and you look out there. Every day I look out there and think, I just, I'm still – marvel at the place uh you know i'm sure if you want to nitpick it you can say well this and as to this and that i mean they are committed to excellence they have the know-how the resources and the commitment to do it and it's just i love the fact 
that you cannot have your cell phone on the property. And if people haven't been there, they think, well, that's an exaggeration. It is not an exaggeration. I mean, I truly, I can have mine in the media center. I truly do a pat down when I walk out of that building every time because, you know, I mean, I know people who have been escorted off the property because they had their cell phone out there. And, uh, you know, it's old school. You, you wait till they put manually change the scores on those big old wooden boards down there to see what happens. But uh, I'm really glad they do it that way. And I, I love what it is. And uh, you know, it's uh, it just shows what's possible sometimes. It's, you know, you've been by Washington Road and there's all the fast food joints in the world out there. And all of a sudden you step through the doors of Walt Disney's imagination almost and find yourself there. What's your concession stand order? Are you a pimento cheese guy? Yeah. Uh, I wish they'd do the pimento cheese on something other than white bread. <laughs> but, uh, you know, if I had to have one, I'd say pimento cheese, barbecue potato chips. And uh, I love how they, uh, they have cola, diet cola, lemon lime, sport drink. <laughs> I mean, in beer, they have beer and import. And I'll tell you, our, uh, I wrote a little thing about last year. I drink out of master's cups. 365 days a year if I'm home. That's all we have almost. <laughs> and like, and I saved my green ones. You get a green cup if you buy uh, one of their Crow's Nest beers or one of their import beers. And uh, so those are my gin and tonic glasses in the summer. A big green cup. There's time for a gin and tonic. <laughs> all right. I cannot let anybody who's in, played golf, been involved with golf as long as you have. Um, I always have to ask this question. Tell me about the best shot you ever hit. The best shot I ever hit. It was probably at what is now Trump National Charlotte or whatever, up the point. Par, uh, golf course, Greg Norman did a really nice golf course. I'm playing a par five up there with my dad and a pro, the head pro up there. It's been open a year or something. And I decided to try to hit it over the water of this par five green and two. And it was a four iron. I do remember that part. I mean, I just hit it. And it's just like, you know, sunbeams raining down on you like they're doing them. It's like the ball is just reaching its apex on its 225-yard flight or something. And the pro goes, just go on in. And hits about six feet short of the hole, rolls in for a, an albatross, a double eagle. I mean, it was as close to the perfect golf shot as you could ever hit. And uh, so that one, when you ask that question, that one comes to mind. I mean, it was like, that's the best I ever that's the best I've gotten I mean I made after 50 years I made a hole in one but you know it's just one of those more that the hole finally got in the way uh, but that shot that was one a quick note the TV show about pro golfers that Ron Green Jr. mentioned is called Full Swing and it's scheduled to debut on Netflix February 15th two things about golf make it different from other sports one, the goal is to get the lowest score instead of the highest score. And two, there are no defenders in golf. It's just you against the course, which means it's really you against yourself. I think Ron Green Jr. would rather talk about the glories of Pebble Beach than the greed and immorality of the new Live Tour. I'd rather talk about other stuff too. But it's a good reminder to separate the artist from the art. Somebody who makes a heroic shot on the 18th hole isn't necessarily a hero off the course. A great storyteller like Ron Green Jr. can search for the best in people even as he's willing 
to write about the rest. Ron or his dad or both have covered every Masters tournament since 1955. They're as much a part of Augusta National as the Azaleas. Golf's history over those 68 years has changed so much, and they've seen it all. But at the right moment, on a Sunday afternoon, it comes down to the same thing. A little white ball flying through the air, and everyone wondering where it's going to land. Southbound is a production of WFAE in Charlotte. Our main theme music comes from Josh Turner. You can listen to this and other episodes of Southbound on the NPR One app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can subscribe for free to get each new episode sent to you when it's ready. You can also find Southbound on WFAE.org, where every episode has show notes with more information on that week's guest. See you all next time. Thanks for listening.